Hello and welcome to Being Well, I'm Forrest Hansen. If you're new to the podcast, this is where we explore the practical science of lasting well-being. And if you've listened before, welcome back. To start by kind of bringing you behind the curtain for a second, this is the first podcast episode that we're recording in 2022. There's always this kind of fresh feeling, at least for me, around the start of the new year. Many of us set new goals and resolutions for the year ahead. And it's now mid-January, which means that, according to research, roughly half of those resolutions have already been abandoned. In my opinion, one of the big reasons this happens is because people often make resolutions aimed at what they feel like they should want rather than what they actually do want. In other words, their goals and resolutions aren't really in alignment with their passions or their broader sense of purpose. And one of the big reasons that happens is because people aren't really sure what their purpose is, how to identify one, or how to pursue it once they do. So today we're going to be exploring a topic I've been wanting to talk about in more detail for a while, how we can identify and pursue our purposes in life. To help us do that, I'm joined today, as usual, by Dr. Rick Hansen. Rick is a clinical psychologist and a best-selling author, and he's also my dad. So dad, how are you doing today? I'm really good, partly because I'm grounded in my own purposes for the new year. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, truly. And uh, really psyched about this topic. Awesome. It's such a profound and fundamental topic. And in a way, it gets to something really intimate for each of Mm. us. Like, what do we care about most deeply? Just to bust out the Buddha's last words, as best we know, Mm. well translated by Stephen Batchelor, quote, Things fall apart. Tread your path with care. Mm. That's it right there. And we have in the word care, a combination of both conscientiousness and heartfulness. So in a lot of ways here, we're talking Mm. about recognizing the fleeting and turbulent nature of the path of life and the importance of treading it with care. So what is it that we really care about? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Awesome. Well, you kind of got us right into it. But before we sort of start the meat of today's episode, I want to give you a couple of quick reminders. First, if you've been enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. We're on most every podcast platform at this point. And then second, if you'd like to support us in other ways, you can find us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash beingwellpodcast. And for the cost of just a couple dollars a month, you can support the show and you'll receive a bunch of bonuses in return. Things like expanded show notes, transcripts of everything we do, and ad-free versions of the episodes. So all that said, I'd like to start by asking kind of a big picture question. Why is it good to have a purpose? In other words, why are we kind of bothering with this exercise at all? If we're caught up in a crisis and there's some sort of immediate demand, like fleeing a burning building, we don't really need to think much about our overall frameworks or values that we have in life. The urgency of the moment just compel us. On the other hand, when we have more time, and also in the face of all these competing demands that we're bombarded by in modern life, advertising this, asking that, enticing us in one direction, alarming us about another direction. Whoa! It's like a popcorn machine inside there on spin cycle. It's really helpful to have a short list of guiding values, movements, inspirations, and aspirations to direct you along your days. Second, it's really useful 
to tune into, as I started by saying in the very beginning, what matters to you most? What's your deepest priority in life, right? What do you care about most deeply? And it's very valuable to kind of step out of the everyday routines and fragmented ways of living we have to zero in on, okay, all right, your own answer to the question posed by the poet Mary Oliver, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Yeah, I think that a lot of this comes down to the idea that there are a lot of perfectly good and valid ways to move through life and to move through the world, right? And so a lot of this is about what's resonant to you as an individual who's listening to this podcast episode right now. A lot of people get just kind of carried by life, sort of like you're saying, whether it's because they're going through a really tough time and they they don't have the bandwidth to think about these kind of big picture questions, or because, you know, it's just not really how they relate to our one wild and precious life to, to steal the <laughs> quote, you know? And it's possible to have a perfectly pleasant life without any real underlying sense of purpose for many people. Some people actually find, if you look through a lot of philosophical traditions, a lot of comfort in the idea that everything is kind of meaningless and nothing matters. So there are a lot of ways to do life and still end up like reasonably happy, right? Or if not happy, at least kind of content with your choices. But nonetheless, I think for both of us, if you're looking for fulfillment over the long haul, it's really helpful to identify some things that are meaningful to you. And that's most of what I mean personally when I say something like finding your purpose in life. Because we can interact with this question, right, at a lot of different levels. And we were sort of talking about this before we started recording today, where you can relate to it much more spiritually or or psycho-spiritually as this idea of a higher purpose, something you feel called to do, maybe even by some higher power. Okay, if that's meaningful to you, then great. To me, as a pretty you know, secular person, pretty practical, what I normally am talking about when I use that phrase is some combination of what's meaningful to you, what are your core values, and how would you like to spend a big chunk of your time? Hmm. Um, Because end of the day, whatever your purpose is, you're going to spend a lot of time pursuing. And it's probably helpful if that's time that you more or less enjoy. That's very clarifying, Forrest, Hmm. as usual. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're you're right on brand here. You're right on (laughs) brand. Very good. Boiling it all down (laughs) to the most reduced essence. Yes. Maybe that's my purpose in life. Who knows? couple of things here struck me when you were talking. The first is that a person understandably may have a lot of important obligations or duties in their life. And they might think, well, my purpose is really clear. Take care of my kids, make a living, stay out of trouble, live to see the sunrise. Okay, that's fine. The question then is, what's the framework of those obligations and duties and accountabilities? And you can have a framework wrapped around them that gives them meaning and puts them in perspective and gives you a sense of inspiration and aspiration related to them rather than feeling maybe burdened by them or that you're just doggedly grinding out day by day what you got to do. Point one. Point two, the way we're approaching purpose here is in a frame of it's something you choose. So it's not forced upon you. And while it may be possible, who knows what the metaphysics of this are, it may be possible there's some higher order, some divine power 
has a purpose for you. I, I have friends, I, I have people I respect and appreciate who have a sense of that. Okay, we're not going to approach it in that way. We're not against approaching it in that way. And if it's helpful to a person to listen to that still quiet voice inside that speaks to you, what that higher purpose is for you. Okay, really cool. But we're going to look at this in a more secular framework in terms of something that individuals have existential autonomy about. Your purpose is yours to choose. Others may have suggestions. There may be conditions and situations you've got to kind of manage and forces coming at you you got to deal with. But deep in the core of, the be- of your own being, you are free to choose your own purpose and to make it your own. Great. Really, really good framing, I think, for everything that we're going to talk about today. To put a couple of other bullet points on why somebody might want to go through an exercise like this, there's actually a lot of research that suggests that people who are high in eudaimonic well-being, in other words, they feel basically fulfilled by life, tend to live longer, they have better health outcomes, and so on. And also, if you're somebody who's you know, if you listen to that and you kind of go inside of yourself on some level, well, that sounds a little bit wishy-washy. I don't know about that. I'm kind of more of an achievement guy. Purposes could be really helpful for that too. People tend mm-hmm. to get further when they stay, at least to an extent, in the same general area as time goes on. And I say that as a huge generalist myself. <laughs> but generally speaking, having at least a vague sort of specificity in your life tends to help you get further. So I just wanted to say those two things before we get moving here. So, okay, if we have that as our framework, If somebody's listening to this and they kind of go, eesh, identifying a purpose in life feels pretty high stakes to me. And people change a lot over time. Yeah, what if I get it wrong? What if this isn't truly my purpose? Like, oh my God, what if I hit 35 and I have an awakening experience where I go, oh man, I was just doing it wrong this whole time. Wow, that's, that's kind of scary. Do I really need a single purpose here? How would you sort of respond to that? I think first that... A general sense of purpose tends to be pretty consistent over a person's Mm. life. Their their highest values, the things they most care about. There might be some shifting and and evolving in how it's described. Words that maybe are used or the imagery around it or the feeling of it. There does tend to be a certain consistency, I think, on the one hand. And that's perfectly okay. On the other hand, there's certainly evolution. And it's useful to, uh, you know, I'm, I claim that I'm in late middle age because I'm not yet prepared to say that I'm in early old age. <laughs> but as someone who's approaching early old age, I'm still evolving in my own sense of purpose in this life. So point one. Point two, I said something quickly that I want to kind of underline here, which is that we can express purpose verbally. And there is a place, I think, for the clarity of language, especially refining certain key points for yourself. But maybe more deeply, purpose is expressed through imagery and through the feeling in your own body of Mm. that way of being. So what a person can do then is to establish the feeling in the body of that way of being that is the enactment or fulfillment of the purpose already here and now. And then establish yourself in that way of being and feel increasingly lived by that way of being rather than setting purpose way out there in the distant future. 
I think that's so great. And you're already bringing something up that I kind of wanted to name a little bit later, but we're talking about it right now, so we might as well go into it. I think the nonverbal aspects of this are super important and are often missed. Most of the time when people think about intention setting, at least if you read blogs online or watch YouTube videos or whatever that are aimed at this topic, most of the time they frame it very verbally. Write down your three intentions for the new year to make sure that you bring them into action, something like that. And that's a great exercise. I'm not trying to poo-poo that. I'm just saying that often what we actually want to achieve is a feeling. It's something Mm. somatic. It's happening inside of the body. So if you frame your purposes, goals, intentions in terms of vibe rather than in terms of like specific cognitive word structure, that's a great thing. And if you can put that vibe into words, amazing, even better. But it doesn't have to be this like really cognitive top-down thing. To take a second to return to what you were saying earlier about how there's often this thread that runs through our purpose over time. To kind of give the other side of the coin there, I totally agree with that. And also, it's normal for people to change as time goes on. Uh, Flexibility, generally speaking, is a good thing, at least in terms of some degree of psychological flexibility, which we've talked about. It's part of the ACT process. To give an example, it's very, very core to that therapeutic method. So, hey, it's a good thing. And then also, just generally, if you're somebody, as I am, who can get a little cringy about commitment, Mm. particularly commitment to like a single idea or a single purpose or something like that, it's often easier to take a step in if you retain the autonomy to take a step out. Oh boy. Yep. Yeah. It's a lot easier to commit to five minutes of meditation than it is to commit to 30 minutes of meditation. And I speak from profound personal experience there. So, you know, it might be easier for you when you're going through this exercise to find or commit to a purpose for the next little while than it is to commit to a purpose in life. And if that's what you find accessible, then great. That's great. It's it's neat to feel like you can just try it on. Mm, mm-hmm. And related to that, maybe I'm previewing partly where we're going to go here eventually. A thing people can do, and a thing I've done quite often, is once you have sort of established a summary sense of an overarching purpose or frame, it can be very profound to commit to it again every morning. Mm, mm-hmm. Before you get out of bed, reestablish the feeling of that purpose, that way of being, that calling, that wellspring, that updraft you're writing. Reestablish the feeling of it and give yourself over to it anew each morning. Mm. That's very centering and clarifying, especially if you have a complicated turbulent life, like so many of us do these days. Yeah, this is a little tangential, but it's something that I've been kind of thinking about a bit recently, which is how we go through this whole process at the beginning of the year around goals and resolutions, finding your purpose, you know, whatever. And then often what happens is at some point, as humans normally do, there's a bump in the road. You know, you fall off the wagon, you go a week without doing the thing that you said you were going to do every day, you know, whatever it is. And then we just kind of say, oh, well, I guess that resolution's over now because I blew it, right? And I just think that that's such an unhealthy way to engage with this whole territory, right? Mm. So retaining the autonomy to recommit to something every morning, I actually think is like a super powerful big picture practice, not just for finding your purpose in life, but for any goal that you want to achieve. Okay, sure, I didn't do it yesterday, but guess what? Today's a new day. 
So you can kind of capture that fresh start effect. We talked with Katie Milkman on the podcast about uh, the behavioral psychology of how when things start anew, it often makes us feel kind of differently about them and it increases our likelihood of sticking with our goals if we can sort of capture that. But you can take every day as a fresh start if you really, you know, do it deliberately. Forrest, I want to really underline that, including in the territory of moral action Mm, mm -hmm. or the territory of how we are with other people, including the ones who are closest to us, to give ourselves permission to take a breath and start again. Mm. Not to make it easier for us to fall off the wagon or take the low road instead of the high one. No, not for that reason. But in recognizing that we're frail, complicated, imperfect beings, and we do mess up. I mess up. I need to start again. And to feel like, okay, I'm going to start again. I'm making a fresh commitment. And and also it's not, we're not trying to prove it to the other person. We're not trying to get their blessing for it. Even if they doubt that we're making a, a commitment anew, the proof is in the pudding. You can basically say, look, I'm not trying to persuade you or convince you. I'm going to demonstrate that I'm making a fresh start. And that's on me to do. Mm. It's so beautiful. I love that. To give ourselves that kind of possibility. Yeah, I think that's great. Can I lay some more cosmic stuff on this? Sure, yeah. Lay lay some cosmic juju on this. Why not? I'm kind of free associating today, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think we both are a little bit during this episode. I mean, it's such a big picture topic that we're just touching on a lot of stuff that I suspect we've both been chewing on and have kind of alluded to a lot in previous episodes, but we've never really had an opportunity to talk about it with this level of detail. So just a lot of thinking is coming out, which I think is great. Yeah. Well, on this notion of fresh start, I was talking with your mom, that fountain of Mm. wisdom, a little earlier Mm -hmm. today. And uh, we were talking about aging. And as I joked earlier, whether I'm in late middle age or early old age. And I'm holding Well, Dad, you're approaching an age that begins with a seven. So, you know, (laughs) we can all make our own choices about how we determine those cutoffs. I think seven-year-olds are the great wisdom holders (laughs) for the human species. Wow. There you go, baby. (laughs) You're probably right, honestly. In some ways. Okay, my point is, I said to your mom, basically, I quoted Bob Dylan first saying, anyone who is not busy being born is busy dying. And it's important to be busy being born continuously. Then I quoted the obvious teaching that every moment is a moment of birth and death. You know, this moment falls away, it dies away while the next one is is born anew. And then I said, you know, honey, to my wife, I want it to be said on our tombstones, they lived until they died. Mm. In other words, we're continually engaging in the present this process, as others have pointed out, of a kind of rebirth. You know, the old falls away and the new is being born. And to retain that kind of freedom in the present, to be able to declare ourselves anew, to commit ourselves anew, to cop to the past and then commit to the future, it's a very beautiful and powerful thing. And it's what enables us to continue being busy being born. Wow. Well, I think that's tremendous. Honestly, I think that's a really fantastic way to put it and thing to think about and definitely be definitely be clipping that one for the old Instagram or whatever else because I thought it was a, <laughs> just a great encapsulation of so much stuff there, Dad. And, you know, to, to take down the levity a little bit and just sort of mm. talk about it in a more serious way. 
a commitment to growing and changing up until the day when, you know, that's it and it's all over and you're not growing and changing anymore. I think that's really beautiful and, and is a great sort of moral for the podcast as a whole, I think, mm. and for a lot of your work too. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, totally. So, okay, we've wandered a little bit from the path that we had initially planned <laughs> when we were planning this episode uh, to kind of detour back to it a little bit here. Let's say that somebody comes into your office yep. and they say to you some version of, you know, I've always had a hard time kind of figuring out what I actually want to do with my life to, uh, to quote myself here. I was not a kid who just like knew that he wanted to be a firefighter when he grew up. I, I don't really know where to start. I feel kind of listless. I'm just sort of spinning my wheels. Is there something in particular that you would say to them or, or something you would want to do with them, a process you would go through? to kind of help them with that? Well, definitely the first is to really address the question of how comfortable is this person getting in touch with themselves and mm. listening to themselves, including at deeper, often nonverbal, sometimes quite young levels. Yeah. A fancy term for this broadly is interoception, uh, tuning into your own innards, especially your own body sensations. I, I think of the line, here I am doing a quote-a-thon today, I guess, but I believe from uh, James Joyce yeah, about somebody who, quote-unquote, lived at some distance from his body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. in, in other words, we need to get in touch with ourselves to identify what is being murmured continuously, deep down inside about what matters most to us, but we're just not listening to a lot. So that's the first point. And sometimes people are afraid to get in touch with themselves because they're scared of what's down in the basement there, sometimes for mm -hmm. good reason. So it can help initially to do some resourcing relating to getting more comfortable with mindfulness and training in mindfulness, holding on to a kind of a stability of presence of mind without being swept away by anything. Also building up inner resources of self-soothing, feeling like you have inner allies who are with you. Okay, so you can open up to yourself. Also, it's helpful to appreciate that almost always when you open up to yourself, you find good news there. Mm. That said, sometimes what happens for people is a kind of grieving when they get in touch with their true purposes in life. And they realize sometimes that they've lived at some distance from them, or in fact, they may have violated them. And there can be an initial phase of, of grieving, remorse. Sometimes there's a feeling like, well, it's too late. It's very important to appreciate this is just a first step, and it's never too late. And in fact, even if you lived at some distance from your true purpose for the first one or two or three decades of your adulthood, truly, really, listen to me here. Your own goodness has been leaking through, <laughs> you know, despite you or despite uh, or notwithstanding what you're unaware of, your own goodness and the, the engine, the, the North Star of your own true purposes have been living through you along the way, often recognized more by other people around you than by you yourself. Yeah. And for a lot of people, I think it's kind of uncomfortable to go through that process initially of wandering inward. It certainly was for me when I first started to engage with these kind of more personal development processes of various kinds, um, psychological and otherwise. And there is a lot of fruit 
I can say personally in asking yourself why it is that you don't like going through that process. What is it about getting in touch with your interior that you find uncomfortable? And being really specific about it, I think, can be a profoundly useful practice. Mm. Because then you know what you're dealing with. Yeah, exactly. You know what you're dealing with. You get clear about it. It becomes particular rather than global. Yeah, particular rather than global. Great way to put it. And in that clarity, there's often discomfort. And I just want to be super straight up with people about that. It is rarely a pain-free process, at least in my own experience. And it's common to discover things about yourself or fears you have, concerns you hold, things you don't like that are not fun to encounter for the first time. But I think that it's a very important process if you're somebody who really wants to engage this question of what am I going to find the most fulfillment doing in my life? As you said that, there's often a kind of grieving that's associated with it. Sometimes that's a grieving for lost time. Often it's a grieving for a way that things could have been or a way that things weren't back then, whatever it might be. And I think that's really real. And and it's fair to acknowledge that that's not always a really fun experience to go through, but it's often a pretty useful one. I have a second suggestion, which is get good counsel from other people. Mm. Not letting other people tell you what your purpose ought to be, but with people who are wise, friends, counselors maybe, teachers, what do they see about you? Mm. What do they see are your deeper talents that are looking for ways to be actualized and expressed? What, what's the, what are some of the deeper movements in your heart related to contributions you want to make in the world? What lights you up? What floats your boat? What gives you joy, right? Other people can be helpful there. And they can also be very helpful. Wow, I can think of a particular example myself of pointing out to you, gosh, it just kind of sort of seems like you're you know, trying to get cheese down a tunnel that has no cheese. You're trying to get blood from a stone somehow. You know that you're caught up in some sort of ostensible purpose that you're really mm. driven around and even dogmatic about, but it's not a good one for you. And there's a way in which, as is described in what's called control mastery theory, it's a very mm, important mm-hmm. domain of psychotherapy. I can hear you uh, nodding here and see you nodding here. The basic idea is that Often, for good purposes, we try to complete missions. We try to get results that we were thwarted about when we were young. So we we try to get love from a certain kind of a person who didn't give us much love when we were a kid. The problem with the attempt to master and control these results is that they're often doomed quests because the people or situations we're trying to be successful in in today are doomed to failure for all the reasons they were doomed to failure when we were young. And one of the things that's one of the things that's kind of helpful is to realize when we're caught up in doomed quests and to give ourselves a break about it and to say, it's really okay. You can shift gears. It's really okay to shift gears and start, you know, offering your gifts in ground that's much more fertile for the seeds of what you're offering. Yeah, to do one of my favorite things and to return to like a cognitive bias that people have around this, this is sometimes referred to as escalating commitment. Also, it's just sunk cost. The idea that we get very attached to the behaviors that we've had over time, essentially. 
Um, and people just get to a point with something where they go, wow, I'm so invested in this. It would be so disruptive, so painful, so whatever for me to have that moment of profound admission to myself that like this just ain't working out and it's time to try something else. Um, and that's often an extremely uncomfortable experience for people, very understandably. Another thing I want to point to here is something that I named on a previous episode, which is that a lot of the time we get sensitized to our, our negative qualities or the things that we don't like about ourselves. We judge ourselves more harshly than other people judge us. And hand in hand with that, we habituate to our positive qualities. So we don't see the ways in which we're a little nicer, a little kinder, a little bit more interpersonally skillful, a little bit more emotionally aware than other people or than kind of the average person. Because that's just sort of the wallpaper of our experience. And often it's because these things are directed externally as opposed to being directed internally. We're nice to other people, but we're kind of cruel to ourselves. We really give other people a break. We don't do the same thing for ourselves. Mm. All of that over and over again. So sometimes getting that external voice, a good friend, a patron, a supporter, a something, can be really helpful to help us identify the ways in which we have what are sometimes referred to as kind of unfair advantages, the things that are built in for us mm. that might not be built in for other people. I was just thinking there about one of the useful things from other people too, mm. is that they can help us understand when maybe we're pursuing something past a point of diminishing returns. Yeah, totally. And so much of wisdom in life is really about knowing when to hold them and when to fold them. And as someone who put himself through college in part by playing poker professionally online, you know, you definitely, I think, <laughs> had many experiences. Oh, that's going to take some of our listeners by surprise there, Dad. <laughs> I thought it was great. I mean, some people play the stock market. <laughs> some people back in the day when online poker was more of a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In any case, knowing when to hold them, when to fold them, right? And I think that sometimes we can be dogged to a fault. That's definitely my tendency. Other people mm, quit too mm -hmm. soon. Okay, maybe they should, you know, err more on the side of uh, sticking with things a little longer. But a lot of us, I think, just feel like, you know, I got to keep going. I got to keep trying. Mm -hmm. And if you're listening right now, you might ask yourself, you know, is there some kind of inner knowing in you, some inner wisdom that says, hey, honey, hey, sweetie, it's okay. This one's just not going to work. This dog is just not going to hunt. Don't send a duck to Eagle School. It's just not working. It's okay. You could take a breath, cut your losses, move on. And maybe there's something inside you that knows about that. And in so doing, by clearing away, by reducing energy that we're allocating to old purposes that have maybe that are maybe past their prime or are really never going to be fulfilled by withdrawing our energy from those doomed or overly costly pursuits, we then have more energy for our true purposes. Yeah, I think that that's completely true and is a really useful exercise for a lot of people to give a third sort of general suggestion to people who are beginning to go through this process of identifying how they want to find fulfillment, their purpose in life, however you kind of want to frame it. Earlier, we were talking about interoception, right? Feeling into the body. And I gave that reflection that a lot of the time, people don't love what they find there. 
There are useful versions of not loving what you find there, and there are not useful versions of not loving what you find there. A lot of people, myself included, are carrying around all kinds of limiting beliefs, old stories, excessively self-critical voices inside of the head that beat us up over and over again. And it can be really helpful to consider some of the common blocks that you might be holding right now to this kind of an exercise altogether. If you are the sort of person who goes, oh, I think that this kind of stuff is just not very useful, or oh, you know, not for me. Well, there could be good reasons for that, or that could just be a defense mechanism. And I think it's really useful to go through a process of trying to determine why that is. Like, do you have a voice in your head that pops up and starts to kind of criticize you or diminish you whenever you get close to engaging this exercise in a serious way? And then it's useful to go through a process of, okay, why is that voice there? Who is that voice? So yeah, so that's sort of a third just general principle here before we get into some specific questions that might help a person go about identifying their purpose. I want to give an example of that for us, just thinking about it. First, a lot of people grow up in cultures in which children or certain kinds of people, for example, females, are not supposed to have their own purposes. And so there's a kind of an internalized prohibition, a taboo against establishing autonomously your own chosen purposes. And that can be a kind of an internal block to engaging this process of purpose. That is worth looking into if it has any ring of truth for you, uh, if a person's listening here. Second, a related block is the sense that establishing your own purpose, let's say metaphorically, to head north is somehow disloyal to people who were important to you or are important to you, for whom their purpose is head, is heading east or even south. And it's important to be able to work through this kind of obstruction of the sense of disloyalty to establish yourself in your own purpose. One way to work through that obstruction of the sense of disloyalty is to really ask yourself, if I head north in my metaphor, am I actually harming my mother, my father, the religion I grew up in, my partner? Am I actually harming them? Usually not, because very often, very different purposes can coexist alongside each other. And if deep down inside, you realize that, wow, my deeply important true purposes in this life are going to create conflict with others who are important to me, then you've got some tough choices. I will say that sometimes we do choose harmony over truth, but over time, people who choose harmony over truth in important relationships often end up with neither. Yeah, that's, I think, a really important reflection in general. That sometimes, you know, you make an omelet by breaking a few eggs, to use a much more crass metaphor mm. than, uh, than you offered there, which was, which was much more kind of high-minded. And I'm trying to find the right way to say this because this is such a, a tricky and nuanced thing to talk about. And I want to be really careful here because we don't know your situation. And there are people who err on either side here. There are mm. people who are like a bull in a china shop, psycho-emotionally mm. with others. And they're just out for their own happiness, growth, fulfillment, so on, with very, very little regard for the, the lives or experiences of other people. And at the same time, there are people who are so concerned about 
stepping on any toes, about inconveniencing anyone else, that they shrink smaller and smaller and smaller over time. My opinion, which is not backed up by a lot of complex research, it's, it's just a vibe that I get, is that if you're the kind of person who listens to a podcast like ours, you're probably more likely to fall into the second category than the first category. I think that most people who are somewhat psychoeducated are more likely to fall into the second category than the first category. Mm-hmm. They're more likely to shrink, to play small, to avoid bothering or inconveniencing other people, to take on challenges for themselves that they really don't need to in order to make other people's lives easier, whatever it might be. So I think it's really helpful, exactly like you're saying, Dad, to kind of evaluate the ways in which you've modified your life over time to accommodate others. And sometimes that's an amazing thing. Like being a parent, you're in a constant state of accommodation for like at least the first 18 years, if not considerably longer than that. And that can be an incredible experience, right? Oh, I'm still doing it. Oh, yeah, I know, right? 34 years in or whatever, you're still accommodating for me, Dad. I appreciate it. Every once in a while, I get you back by accommodating for you, but you know. Oh, much of the time, actually. We're not going to talk about those ones on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) But jokes aside, to kind of just simplify this, it is really helpful to take a look at the ways in which you are tamping down your own purpose in order to accommodate other people. And sometimes that's okay, and sometimes it's really unnecessary, and not only unnecessary, but actually unhealthy. Let's talk about some questions that might really help a person address their question of purpose. Uh, One that I think is central is, what did you know when you were young? What did you feel? Mm. What were you imagining as the kind of life that you would have? And the crux here is not so much the form of it, oh, I was going to be a movie star, but, well... What would being a movie star bring to you as experiences? Mm, mm -hmm. What would you be expressing through being a movie star? What kind of life could you have? What kind of people could you be with by being a movie star? And to explore more of that as, as a guide to you. I also think that deep in the heart of little children are some very fundamental values. For me, looking back, one of my values was this wistful longing to help other people be happy. You know, I think a lot of little kids actually have that. And I can just locate that purpose in my early childhood memories. I also wanted to be left alone. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Classic introvert. Well, I didn't want to be messed with. Yeah. I didn't want power dominating me. And, you know, I kind of grew up in a very loving, but somewhat quite controlling family environment with my parents who grew up in the depression. And that was how they learned to to help things be better by kind of controlling them and making sure they didn't go badly. Anyway, so, you know, that too is a kind of a clear purpose, you know, to, to have a life of some independence and some resources that enable a certain independence with other people. Also acknowledging, of course, that I've had certain privileges and advantages that I didn't earn and all the rest of that. And a third example is I always loved being in the wild, Mm. whether it was the wild-ish orange groves around my home as I grew up in Southern California or the truly wild foothills and then mountains, you know, around Los Angeles. I just really come alive in those kind of settings. So right there, you know, we start exploring different kind of Mm -hmm. core purposes, even in the life of just a first grader. Uh, The kind of desire to help other people, valuing independence, 
and wanting to make sure that there's a involvement with nature mm. and wilderness somehow in the midst of one's life mm. right there. And that's just in my example. And you might find examples yourself in your own childhood. Love that. And to kind of piggyback on what you were saying there, using the example of, do you want to be a movie star? Do you want to have qualities that are present in that life? Yeah. A big question here is, are you focusing on means or ends? Mm. There are specific ends that might be realistically challenging for people to achieve. And I, and I do think that an element of realism is useful during exercises like these. But often we can pursue the means to an end, right? Like you can pursue a interest in being outside or a mm. draw to the wild, or yeah. I want to cultivate a certain kind of feeling in my body that travels with me wherever I go. Entertaining people, to use the movie star example, can be a means, right? Or, or being, even to an extent, something like, I want to cultivate certain skills. I want, to, I want to cultivate a kind of extroversion because I really like being in relationship with other people. And that's when I feel when I'm up on a stage or something like that. But the end of, you know, getting your own Netflix special or something like that, like, okay, that's a little bit of a challenging end to reach for most people. Um, but we can find the means along the ways to that end and pursue them even the, in the course of a very normal life. Incredibly important point. Yeah. Absolutely central. A second question is, what are your core values? Mm. Deep down inside, you don't get a million, let's say single digits nine or less. And <laughs> you get bonus points if they're under, if they're no more than half a dozen. What are your core values? In a word or a phrase, maybe as an image or a feeling in your body. And then taking it a step further, is there a frame that includes them all? Mm. In other words, if, if you were to put it in language and say something like, my purpose in life is to experience happiness, love, joy, wisdom, and delicious root beer floats, that's a pretty long list. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you might look at that and just go, you know, if I really sum it up, it's lived by love, lived by love. That's my really heartfelt, powerful, guiding current in my life, for example. So that's helpful. It's also useful, I think, to make a distinction, and I'm drawing on some of my own background and purposes and so forth, to make a distinction between a purpose statement, which could be a phrase or, or word, and priorities. Purpose and priorities are distinct. And you can have an overarching purpose in your life, and then inside of which you have multiple priorities. And a valuable exercise for priorities is to list them, try to keep it less than 10, and then ask yourself, if I get only one, what's the highest priority of my life? I only get one, and what's that one? Okay, take it off the list. Now you have, let's say, eight left. Of those, I only get one. What's my next highest priority? Identify it, take it off the list, and then repeat the process. So you force yourself and no ties are allowed. You have to make choices. Understand this is an exercise and yeah, in real life, a lot of these purposes swirl together. But for the purpose of the exercise, you make yourself 
make a forced choice. You rank them hierarchically. That can be really helpful. And then it's also helpful, frankly, to step back from an overarching purpose and a stack of priorities and consider your life in light of them. Hmm. How close are you coming? How close are you coming? Sometimes it's reassuring to discover that you're actually getting pretty close already, which is really good. Mm. Other times you stare hard at that list and you go, wow, I'm putting 90% of my waking attention on a particular priority, maybe work, that is number seven in my list of nine priorities. Mm. And Mm -hmm. I really need to much better walk my talk, actually the talk of my true priorities and put a lot more emphasis on number one and two. Yeah, no, I think that can be a super helpful exercise and both the forced choice aspect of it where you're kind of knocking things off the list and also the aspect where you you take a long, hard look at the end of it and you compare it to what's going on right now and go, huh, do I need to do some reprioritizing or some reevaluating of what's going on here? To do a fourth big question that might be helpful for people trying to go through this exercise What opportunities do you have to learn about or explore or discover new things out in the world? Because if we're constantly interacting with the same circumstances or ideas or people and all of that, we're just not going to have a lot of new ingredients in our cooking. Our field of vision is going to be pretty narrow. And there might be a lot of things out there that we just haven't interacted with a lot that could ultimately be deeply meaningful for us if we were to do so. And a, a great example of hearing kind of a classic people piece of advice that people give around finding a purpose or a passion is to try different kinds of volunteering. Going out in the world and giving is a great way to find out what you actually want to give more of in your life, of course. And generosity just in general is a core value that many people find incredibly fulfilling. Building on that, maybe this is the last question, In the process of going out in the world or just looking inside yourself, what do you have some ability at already Mm. in terms of your natural talents? Yeah. And it's kind of funny, actually. I think a lot of us, definitely I was, caught up in improving ourselves as an overarching value, getting better at various things. Well, kind of by definition, if you're improving yourself, you're almost moving away from what you're already naturally good at. Mm. And we can kind of sometimes lose sight of what we're naturally good at. Very early on in this conversation, Forrest, you highlighted that point that we sort of habituate to our natural gifts and we stop being aware of them because we're so much aware of what we're you know, not so good at or what other people want us to get good at. Yeah. Right? And recognizing, oh, wow, you've got a natural talent for something. Why not do that? And I can tell you that I wandered for multiple years in my 20s because I just didn't get that I had a natural talent for empathy mm. and supporting other people. Duh, mm-hmm. I ought to be a therapist, you know? <laughs> but, and so I wandered then late in life into grad school, which slowed down a lot of things. And so you might ask yourself, huh, huh, are there gifts inside me that I'm veering away from that would really serve me to claim and stand upon as the basis for my purposes in life. Yeah, I love that. I think it's such a huge part of it. As we kind of move toward a close here, it might seem like, wow, finding a purpose is really complicated. (laughs) I have to think about 20 different things across 17 different dimensions. Sure, (laughs) It can seem a little complicated. And I 
I think it's really helpful to, to really bring it down to earth and kind of back to the heart. Deep inside, most of us really know already what we deeply care about. It's listening to it and acting upon it. That's the central process of establishing and living from a life purpose. What do you really care about? And in that, there's an involvement with, and this can be kind of tricky to talk about, an involvement with what some psychologists call soul work. I don't mean soul in a religious or metaphysical sense as some entity passing from life to life or moving on into heaven. I mean it more like the innermost depths of a person, deeper than personality, deeper than logic and intellect, your own deep nature. And there's a marvelous book, Care of the Soul by Thomas More, M-O-O-R-E. That's kind of a classic, I think from the 80s. That's really worth dusting off and taking a look at if you haven't seen it. In which he really talks about this process of caring for our innermost being and what it needs and what it longs to bring into being through the vehicle of an individual's life. That's a lot of what we're talking about here. And we could do the procedures, we could do the razzmatazz, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about that. But at the end of the day, this is really a very intimate, even kind of sacred process that a person can engage in, close to what I talked about in the very beginning about treading our path with care, treading our own personal path with both conscientiousness and love. And that's the fundamental process of finding a purpose. Yeah, I think that that's a great point to loop back to here because we started the conversation really emphasizing the importance of, as I put it so eloquently, the vibe. The vibe is very, very important here, right? And then, of course, in classic, you know, me fashion, we entered our 18-point plan for how to find the vibe, uh, to put it kind of lightly. And the truth is that there are different ways to go about this process. Yeah. There are very top-down, very intellectual, very cognitive ways, asking yourself different questions, going through a very deliberate process, writing it all out on a piece of paper. And then there are much softer ways to go through this. Like this isn't something that to do a moment of self-divulging, which is going to sound remarkably <laughs> off-brand for me because it is. It's, it sounds off-brand because it is off-brand. I, over the last couple of years, largely due to the presence of my partner, Elizabeth, have gotten kind of into throwing the tarot every once in a while for fun. I'm in shock. I know, right? I know, I know, I, I know. In don't shock. It, hey, it is what it is, okay? So I don't do it because I think that I am receiving divine guidance. I don't do it out of a divination system. Some people do these things, okay, whatever works for you. I do it because I actually think that it's like it's a great representation of Jungian psychology and Jungian archetypes. And it is a great way to see a situation a little bit newly. And maybe more importantly than that, I just like the art. You know, <laughs> I think tarot cards are really pretty. I like the representationality of it. It's, it's just a fun thing to do with a group of people. But what I'm saying in all of this is just that like, if you're the sort of person where you connect with this stuff by going out and throwing the tarot, go throw the tarot, dude. 
like do what's real for you. Do what helps you find the vibe. Use the mechanisms that are that are useful for you to connect with this deeper sense of feeling inside of yourself. And that's a great way to do it. And again, to return to what we were saying at the very beginning of the conversation, some of the more nonverbal aspects of this process are actually the most important ones. So if you just find that feeling inside of yourself that you want to cultivate more of, and you can't put a word to it, but you know inside that that's the feeling, that's a great purpose. There's nothing wrong with that. Fantastic. That's great for us. I had no idea. <laughs> I use the I Ching, and mm-hmm. for me, it's almost like any system that's deep, you can find things that truly do apply to you. Yeah, totally. Even distinct from whatever is about the universe lining up to tell you something right there. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's what I think the whole the whole power of it is is the freedom it gives you to see a situation a little bit differently than you're currently looking at it. Yeah, that's totally right. That's the power. Yeah. You know, even beyond anything else that you want to, you know, think about or talk about or believe. Yeah. And some of the most useful exercises I've done with it have been when something popped up that just felt, frankly, totally dumb and inappropriate. And like, how could, you know, this is just a randomization happening to me right now. But you have to search for the meaning. And searching for the meaning is always a useful process. Mm, that's great. Right on. So, you know, I'm kind of outed myself a little bit here. Hopefully I haven't totally torched my credibility as a, as a hardcore rationalist. <laughs> now, that was a detour I didn't think we were going to be taking at the end of this particular <laughs> podcast. So anyway, today we had a wonderful time talking about what you can do to identify your passion and purpose in life. We began today's episode by talking about why you should try to find a passion or a purpose at all. What's the point of this whole exercise? And the truth is that, yeah, there are a lot of different ways to go through life. If you're not a purpose in life person, well, okay, hopefully that works out really well for you. But if we're looking for fulfillment over the long haul, for most of us, it's really pretty helpful to identify a set of things that are meaningful to you. And that's most of what I mean personally when I say something like purpose in life. Of course, we can interact with this question in a lot of different ways, including in the context of a much more sort of higher purpose thing that we're called to do. But for me, most of what we're talking about is identifying some combination of what's meaningful to you, what are your core values, and how would you like to spend a big chunk of your time? We went from there to identifying some of the common cringe moments that people experience when they first start going through this process of identifying a purpose in life. And one of them is that it can feel really high stakes to talk about something like your purpose in life. Wow, like, do I only get one? Do I have to commit to it forever? This is starting to feel a little bit scary. And first of all, that's totally normal. It's completely understandable. I go through the same cringe moments all the time. A couple of points that might be helpful. First, it's normal for people to change through the course of their lives. And indeed, this beautiful reflection that Rick had that's really going to stick with me was that he wants to keep on living up until the day he dies. And I think that that's just such a beautiful way to think about life, that we're always engaged in this process of growing and change. We're living into the next moment. And in much the same way, we're living into our purpose, right? That purpose is going to mature. It's going to evolve. Things are going to change. 
But as Rick said, and as I also believe, there is this kind of thread most of the time that runs through what we evaluate as our purpose in life. It might not be the same one exactly, but it might have some aspects that are a bit similar. Maybe it's driven by similar core values, or maybe there's even some way in which these many different purposes connect over time that you can only kind of see from the perspective of the future rather than the present. I added another point that I think is kind of important here, which is that for many people, it's a lot easier to take a step in if they feel comfortable taking a step out. It's a lot easier for us to commit to a purpose for the next couple of years, or hey, even the next week or the next month, than it is for us to commit to a purpose for the rest of our lives. And if that's what you find accessible, great. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We then gave a couple of general suggestions, followed by five key questions that people can ask themselves if they want to try to go through this process of deliberately identifying a purpose in life. First, get comfortable with interoception. In other words, feeling into your own body. We can get good advice from other people, and that's another one of our three framing suggestions, but still, end of the day, your purpose is going to come from within. And there are a lot of reasons that it can be uncomfortable for people to wander inward, to delve into their interior and the underpinnings of their own psychology, and that's perfectly normal. On the other hand, as I alluded to, you can also get good advice. Sometimes it's hard for us to see ourselves, particularly our positive qualities, as clearly as other people do. So if you have somebody in your life that you can get some good advice from, that is a great resource. Then third, it might be useful for you to consider some of the common blocks that tend to arise in people to exercises like these. If you're the sort of person who says, ugh, purposes, not for me, well, that could be for really understandable, even good reasons, or it could be just a defense mechanism against doing stuff like this. So it can be really helpful to evaluate what it is that's preventing you from engaging this sort of material in a productive way. Then five questions that might help you identify a purpose in life. First, what did you know when you were young? It's common for people to have an underlying nature, something that was really obvious and true about them when they were a kid that over time gets obscured, covered over by the things that happen to them as an adult. And one of the most powerful practices for me personally has been reconnecting with that kiddishness as time has gone on. Related to that, what are your core values? What are the things that really lie at the center of your heart? And you don't get to just say everything here. Start with 10, try to boil it down to say five, go through a process where you have to cross things off the list. This can feel a little artificial. I mean, nobody wants to have a moment where they like cross generosity or something off of their personal value list. But ultimately, it's really hard for people to pursue everything all at once. And it's generally pretty clarifying to try to get to a core set of primary values that you want to live in your life. And sometimes you'll find big picture things. Like one of the things that Rick said was being lived by love that can really include a lot of those core values simultaneously. Third, what opportunities do you have to explore new things and have new experiences? If we're constantly interacting with the same things, we're not going to have a lot of new ingredients to work with. We're not going to be exposed to a lot of new ideas. 
And because of that, we might just not make contact with something that ends up being profoundly meaningful to us as time goes on. Fourth, are you focusing on means or are you focusing on ends? As Rick said, a lot of kids returning to that, what did you know when you were young idea, have uh, some aspirations that are a little bit out there. Not always, but sometimes. So if you feel like you've identified a purpose that isn't tremendously realistic, it's possible that what you found is a fantasy rather than a purpose or an end that you really want to achieve rather than the means that will allow you to get there. Then finally, what do you have some degree of ability at? The truth is that most of the time we tend to stick with things when we feel a degree of accomplishment connected to them. It's really hard to just be Sisyphus pushing the boulder up the hill all day. One of the themes that ran through the conversation that we really brought home at the end was the importance of the nonverbal in these kinds of processes. We often emphasize talking through something, making a list, writing it down, like a lot of very verbal word-based cognizing. But a lot of the time, our passions and purposes are driven by feelings. They're driven by emotions. They're driven by sensations. It's a body-based process as much as it's a cognitive one. And to support that, I was a little self-divulging at the end. I talked about how I throw the tarot, particularly I, I tend to throw a tarot spread at the start of every year. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a little while, that might come as a bit of a surprise for you because I am a very rational, very evidence-driven kind of person. And it probably won't come as a shock to you that I don't view it as a divination system or something like that where I'm telling the future, or connecting to a higher power. I mean, who knows? But that's not how I hold the exercise. The way that I think about it is that it's a great way to connect to different kinds of archetypes, both out in the world and in my own interior. I find it useful personally because it helps me view situations differently than I would normally. It introduces randomness in how I think about things, and that's a really useful thing. It's also a great artistic pursuit. I like the art on the cards. I like the feeling that I have when I look at them. And it's a great way to pull me into that kind of an experience that I feel like I've had less of in my life since quarantine started and I've been dancing a little bit less. And in that way, it's a form of connection for me to a sort of artistic identity, which is itself a kind of purpose. The point of all this is that these exercises don't have to be highly verbal and highly top-down. In fact, for a lot of people, they're going to be the total opposite of that. You're going to draw it out. You're going to draw tarot cards. You're going to throw the I Ching. You're going to do whatever it is that's meaningful to you to get in touch with that underlying sense of passion and purpose. And that's really great. So if you've been enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would take a moment to subscribe to it through the platform of your choice and maybe leave a rating and a positive review because that really does help us out. Also, you can tell a friend about it. It's one of the best ways we have to reach new people. If you'd like to support us in other ways, you can join us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash beingwellpodcast. And for the cost of just a cup of coffee or so a month, you can support the show and you'll receive a bunch of bonuses in return. Things like transcripts of the episodes, expanded show notes that go into the research behind the show, and ad-free versions of everything that we produce. Until next time, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.